As an educator, you want what's best for your students. You want them to succeed academically and emotionally. But how do you do it? We actually hit it. Simply ask the question, what is it that we want for our learners? You know, the amount of time they physically sit in a seat doesn't determine whether or not they've learned something. We just kind of took genius hour and put it on steroids. 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 From creative instructional practices to school models and ideas big and small, Reimagining Time is a podcast that will tell the stories of real educators like you and how they've used their imagination to transform their schools and enrich students' lives. Grading practices, the whole, all the grading practices that we have in traditional schools, you have to look at and really question, are these going to help us represent what students learn versus the points that they've accumulated or earned? Our next two episodes are going to explore competency-based education and how it's changing the landscape of traditional schools. These episodes will feature audio extracted from conversations we've had with competency ed experts Brian Stack and Jonathan Vanderels, who have recently written a book entitled Breaking with Tradition that dives into competency ed practices and outcomes. No, this isn't traditional learning we're talking about, and it gets right to the heart of how student learning is measured and valued. In this episode, Brian and John will define competency ed give us examples of how it affects student learning, and talk about how this changes grading practices to reflect something deeper than just a percentage of how well a student understands something. So first, what is competency-based education? So um, this just to frame things a little bit here, um, competency education happens when you see students advancing upon demonstrated mastery. In other words, um, seat time you know, the amount of time they physically sit in a seat doesn't determine whether or not they've learned something and they're ready to move on. They actually produce evidence and say, here's my evidence that shows that I've learned this and now I'm ready to move on to the next piece. Here is what really divides a competency-based classroom from a traditional classroom. Typically, in a classroom, students are given instruction and a set amount of time to be in that classroom and learn. When the class is over for the year, students move on, regardless of whether or not they've really mastered the skills they were taught. This kind of learning is bound by, as Brian said, seat time. So how was learning measured in competency ed? The second part would be that you have competencies, these big ideas that include explicit, measurable, and transferable learning objectives that empower students. These competencies become the building blocks for the entire model. They're the currency. When you're talking about learning, you're not talking about seat time. You're talking about these competencies. And the third part is that you're assessing these competencies with meaningful, positive learning experiences for students. That's a big piece. So in competency-based education, assessment practices shift from constraints of seat time to this kind of bigger picture learning. It's no longer about memorizing facts, but rather how a student demonstrates mastery of a subject. And even the way they demonstrate this learning differs from what you traditionally see in a classroom. And then finally, we have learning outcomes that emphasize competencies that include application and creation of knowledge, but also the development of important skills and dispositions. Sometimes we call these the employability skills. When you ask employers, 
what are they looking for in new hires? They, they don't want people that know what happened in the War of 1812, but they want people who are going to be punctual, who can critically think and problem solve and manage their time. And, you know, so those are all important skills. And that fits into a competency education model as well. These transferable real life skills involve a deep level of learning, but they still require having a way to understand where a student is at in their learning and how you can assess and track those learning progressions. Jonathan Vanderels talks about the difference between standards and competencies and how they are used to measure learning. So standards represent the what, competencies represent the why. People always want a, an example of that, and Brian and I built an example for um, our book that kind of outlines that. A competency, and we'll use fifth grade as an example, might be something like students will read to make meaning while flexibly using a variety of strategies, applying and extending literacy skill with increasing independence. So obviously that's in the area of reading. And underneath that competency, you're going to have a lot of standards of varying levels um, that would flow into that. For example, uh, students would need to read with sufficient accuracy and fluency to support comprehension. They would need to be able to read grade level prose and poetry orally with accuracy. They would need to use content to confirm or self-correct word recognition and understanding. Rereading is necessary. So there are a number of standards that would flow into that competency um, that is really that big idea about learning and is transferable in and across subject areas. And within each competency, as I mentioned earlier, there are learning progressions. So we like to use the example of bicycle riding. Let's pause there for a quick recap. So competency-based learning requires students to reach competencies, these big ideas in learning, such as becoming an independent reader. That's why you want students to learn what you're teaching. You want them to become independent readers. But to get there, they need to meet standards, such as being able to read a passage accurately out loud. That's the what the specific skill they need to learn. And to get there, they have these learning progressions. Maybe they start reading with a partner, maybe just a few words at a time. As Jonathan puts it, it's like learning how to ride a bike. So there are steps or progressions to being able to ride safely uh, by yourself. And uh, it starts out by having those supports that are necessary for you to be successful and pedal and steer and uh, training wheels are very often uh, the first step of that. That's the first step of support. And of course, you have someone with you supporting you as well. There's an adult there, so mom or dad who's uh, kind of uh, holding on to that child when those training wheels are eventually taken off. And then eventually, we have to let go. We have to let the learner uh, demonstrate that for him or herself. And so uh, this is an example of learning progressions that can be applied um, into the educational community specific to competencies. So to get to that level of transfer, there are going to be building blocks and a progression of learning that builds as uh, a learner moves throughout that progression. Just like riding a bike, learning progressions are essential to the mastery of a skill. And they allow teachers and students to know exactly where they're at in their learning. But how do you quantify this kind of learning? If learning isn't based on seat time, then how do you measure it? Can you use traditional number grades to express student mastery? What do traditional grades really express about how we value students? 
Brian dives right in. So then you start thinking about your grading practices. And when you have a very traditional model, you know, grades were a way to kind of sort students, rank students, compare students to other students, ultimately try to help determine whether or not a student has passed a course, what they've learned. But if you think about our grading practices as they exist in a traditional model, you really have a hard time quantifying what they've learned when you have a number tied to it. Like, let's say you get a, an A in a class, 90%. That's an A in a lot of different schools. What does that 90 represent? Does that 90 represent that you get things right nine out of 10 times? Does a 90 represent that you're really an advanced learner? You see, there's a big change here. 90 represents that you get it right 90% of the time. And in our traditional model, what we're saying is, that's really good. We're going to call that an A when you can do something 90% of the time. Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting on an airplane and I know that my pilot was only able to land that plane in flight school 90% of the time, I want off that plane. To me, being an expert at something means more than just you can do it 90% of the time. So grading practices, the whole, all the grading practices that we have in traditional schools, you have to look at and really question, are these going to help us represent what students learn versus the points that they've accumulated or earned? Traditional grading practices are now being highlighted as a barrier to equity in schools. As Brian pointed out, attaching numbers to a student's level of learning may say more about how they're sorted and compared with other students than how well they have learned something. In competency education, which is again based on student mastery, there is no room for percentages of learning. A different kind of assessment is used, and as Brian explains, shifting this ideology is not an easy task. To tell you what kinds of things you look at, a hundred point scale versus a rubric scale. Competency-based uses a rubric scale. Whether to allow or not allow reassessments. Reassessments are a big part of a competency-based model. Um, whether or not to separate academic behaviors like participation and effort from the academic grades. That's a very important part of the model. There are lots of really important pieces to this. So as you dive deeper into this work, you really have to look at what these grading practices are going to be because I will tell you of any school looking to make the conversion to competency ed, especially at the secondary level, this is where you'll have some of your most complicated conversations because this gets to the meat of um, where philosophy meets tradition and it's the two no longer match when you're moving forward with a competency-based model. And uh, just to kind of add to that piece, uh, in a competency model, it's about students and student learning. And the traditional practices that, that we've had around grading have really been about, uh, as Brian mentioned earlier, the accumulation of points. When the focus of your school shifts towards really being about student learning, that means that everything else has to make the shift as well. Figuring out all those components are essential to making this model work. 
Traditional grading presents student learning as one number that often represents not only knowledge of academic content, but behavior as well. But that is not the case in a competency-based model. Academic content knowledge is very, very important, and we want to make sure that students are competent within any of the competencies that are specific to a grade or course. Additionally, those uh, skills and dispositions like communication, collaboration, creativity, self-direction, those are critical competencies for success as we know. We want to make sure that we're being very clear about how students um, can grow in those areas as well, but we don't want to mix the two together. So uh, in a traditional system, you think about how uh, a teacher's grade might actually represent something like uh, 25% as quizzes, 50% for the final, and another 15% for effort and 10% for participation or something to that degree. That degree. But in the next uh, classroom over, it may be different. And so we've started to mix together and we don't have a true picture of what a student actually knows and is able to do in both the academic arena or uh, with those skills and dispositions. So it's really important to try to start to think about grading practices and how they can become uh, truly about what students learn rather than what they are. Behavioral skills and dispositions, as well as academics, are so important to the success of any student, but mixing them together into one number grade makes it unclear as to what a student is actually learning and where they need to improve. Rather, assessing students based on clearly defined standards will help them to reach competencies, and students who reach competencies will do more than simply earn points. Instead, they will acquire a deep level of understanding that results in the mastery of a subject. So, is your school thinking of making the leap to a competency-based model? Here's Brian's number one piece of advice. You know, if we had to pick a number one, it would be start today. You've talked about it, you've researched it, you're planning for it, but really you got to start somewhere, right? And there's an ancient Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago what the second best time is now. And that's, it's true in so many different ways, but don't be, don't be afraid to jump in. It's really, um, it's an exciting time to be in education and it's, it is an exciting time to be thinking about this kind of a model and how much more it can do for students than the models that we've had in the past. That's it for this week's episode of Reimagining Time. This podcast is brought to you by Enriching Students, a tool that helps teachers give students what they really need, time. Our intro track, Rough Cut, is by the artist Tripwire. And we want to say thank you to all of the educators who shared their ideas and stories with us. Look for new episodes of Reimagining Time on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.